Welcome to episode five of the Electronic Gentleman podcast. I'm Derek Sample, and I'll be joined today, as usual, by my co-host, Eric Poopins. The title of today's episode is, Please Remember to Clock Out. Today we're going to dive into our philosophy on employee handbooks, why we don't have one, what we expect from our employees, and what they expect from us. As always, these are just the opinions of Eric and myself. With that in mind, please enjoy episode five of the Electronic Gentleman podcast. Welcome to episode five of the Electronic Gentleman podcast. I'm here with Eric Pubins. Howdy. And I'm Derek Sample, and we are here to dive into the concept of our employee handbook, such as it is. Now that we've talked a little about the philosophy at core, at a broad level, we thought it might make sense to dig down like we did last week on Money Well Spent and dig down a little bit into our philosophy on employees and HR and just the way that we go about managing the company. So our underlying theory is that at the level that we're hiring people, everyone is a consultant. Everyone is essentially at a flat level as far as hierarchy goes. And we did that intentionally when we first started the company. We consciously made a decision that we were not in a place where we were looking to hire entry-level people Not that we have anything against entry-level people, but at the time, we wanted to have people that had been in this business for a while. It's an interesting business to dive right into, and so people that have been doing it, we knew that they would come in with experience, and also, we looked to hire people that were self-motivated and disciplined enough to do their jobs without us micromanaging them, and Eric, specifically, Got a lot of good intel at the beginning through some of his book reading and his stories that he would listen to, uh, as he calls it, uh, talking about different philosophies on that. And I thought I'd let him uh, take the wheel here and touch on that a little bit. Oh, yeah. My stories and my novellas that I would listen to as I used to ride my bike and figure out what it was going to be like to not have a real job anymore. Uh, you know, and one of those one of those philosophies... Uh, is about is about vacation time and it actually surprised me the first time I read it and it was one of those things that just made complete sense which is that you don't need to uh to assign a, a number of vacation days to to uh to professionals and what they were talking about in a lot of those books is that people end up working more and not necessarily taking the vacation that's not what we were trying to do or what we're trying to do now we still encourage people to take as much time off as they like to or as they need uh to you know to an extent, if you take advantage of that, we're going to notice, and that's that's kind of the point, is you want to work with people who aren't going to take advantage of that, and frankly, it's a good red flag for someone to give you if they don't belong at your company. Uh, lucky for us, we haven't run into that yet, but you just say there's no set vacation time. There's no vacation and specific sick days, and one of the reasons that works for us is because we work from home. So if there's a day when you don't have anything to do, is that really vacation day? Um, if you're sick and you only do like two hours of work, is that a partial sick day? Well, that's a, what it is, is a nightmare of people lying to each other and trying to game systems. We wanted to take the, the, the uh, HR is always watching you element out of it and say, you're trusted, you're a professional, we're all the same, we're on the same level here. And you know, do what you need to, to have a good uh, work-life balance, to use uh, buzzwords. 
Yeah, and the way I've always thought of the vacation policy is it's a little bit of a self-correcting issue. We try to strike that balance between not being completely commission-based by any stretch of the imagination, but also having an incentive plan in place um, to where people are also motivated to, not so much that we're trying to motivate them to be good employees, but that they're motivated to think, wow, this workload is crazy. I'm working 70, 80 hours this week, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And with all this extra work I'm putting in, there's going to be an incentive that comes along with it that's not out of reach. Uh, and, And thinking in terms of that, if you are an employee and you're constantly taking vacation, that is going to limit your potential when it comes to earning. And so I think for each of our employees, it's about striking that work-life balance. And we put a little bit of that, uh, actually we put a lot of that in their court to determine how much of that they want to use up with vacation. Now, you know, as Eric said, if there's an abuse of that, we would notice that. Uh, We notice people not being available to jump in and, and take ownership of new projects. But also we want our people to be happy and to get time off because honestly it makes them happy and when they're happy the clients are happy and it's sort of a uh, a snowball effect so i think that's kind of and when i say self-correcting you know if you're out of pocket for a long time your clients are going to start calling about getting work done and if you're not there they're going to say well is there anybody there available that can help me and it's just it just takes you out of out of commission and and doesn't put you in the forefront of getting new work yeah, and the incentive that you were talking about a little bit ago was um, financial incentive. You know why you work. The money does matter. Being happy matters. But everybody everybody works for money. Is um, so something I wrestle with to back it way up, and then I think is the problem for everyone in this sort of remote style job, right? Where you don't there's no forty hours a week. I mean you're you're, you're available during the regular work day because other people are. Your clients are. But when is it, when are you on and when are you off? I personally don't subscribe to any major discipline for that myself. If I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and there's something I want to do for the company, I'll do it at three o'clock in the morning. And then at two o'clock in the afternoon, if I got to drive somewhere, one of my kids, I do. The eight hours doesn't mean anything. It could be 15, 20 hours in a day. It could be two. And, and that doesn't matter. So what we what we did was come up with a way to to do overtime for that, and a way to do overtime for that is just to look at the money that you're actually billing, not normal stuff that you might do that helps the company out, but actually billing that you get paid for, and that's just to give an extra amount of money for for any amount of hours. And for us, we chose twenty. We could just forty hours doesn't mean anything. So we said after you've billed twenty hours, you get a certain amount of money for every hour after that. And that's done weekly. Uh, we learned, uh, we, we, we've seen that model before. A lot of other companies have done it. And where we used to work, we, we learned that the longer the period is that you have to get, you know, to build up the hours before you start getting extra, the more in favor of the house that is and less in favor of the player. And so we decided that a week is fair, you know, putting ourselves in the shoes of, if, if this was, you know, this is, this is the way we work. This is the way we're paid. What would make us happy and what would make us find it suspect? So we're like, okay, a week is going to do it. So, you know, people can, can bust their butt for a couple of weeks and then take some time off and still be getting their extra incentive. Uh, but you don't when you're taking that time off. Yeah. And I think, right. And I think that that kind of transitions into 
managing a company to suit the industry that you're in. And I think one of the challenges with larger companies that have several different practices built into them is when they try to manage them all the same way. Uh, for instance, if there's a trial services division, um, trying to manage them the same as a mergers and acquisitions um, division. Um, I think that if you try to do the one-size-fits-all management and compensation style, it can lead to problems. And it may work in a lot of industries, but in our industry, I've seen that attempted many times, and it almost always creates a problem. Because we ask a lot of our people, we ask for them to be able to respond sometimes late at night with an absurd request from a client that needs something turned around the next morning. Sometimes? You, yeah, yeah, tons of times. And if oh, you've, if you've asked somebody, yeah, always. And if you've asked somebody to sit at their desk from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. just in case something comes in and then nothing does for them to bill, and then at 10 o'clock at night you're asking them, that's not great for morale. Um, and I, I just think that it's it's important to to manage to the business that you're in. Um, I not too long ago saw a note that went around. Um, there was a friend of mine who worked for a competitor, and a note that went around to their office that said, "If you, even if you're out for five minutes, you need to clock in and out, and you're allowed to take two or three. I think it was just two five minute smoke breaks." Um, a day, but no more than that. And then, of course, you've got 30 minutes for lunch and just very, very specific tracking of the employee's whereabouts. And we've just not seen that work at all. And so we've tried to consciously make a decision to operate differently than that. Well, I mean, why do you even need to to test that, to see how someone would, to see how the, the people are going to react to that? Just all you have to do is think, how would I feel if I got that memo? I'd be mad. And the first thing I would try to do is to sneak in the side door so Lumberg wouldn't see me. <laughs> uh, you know, but the FaceTime stuff, I mean, you know, we've, we've figured that out pretty well remotely. You know, again, with, you know, the, the Slack tool that we use, I'm looking at it, looking at it right now um, is a way to have that, you know, open door FaceTime policy. But, you know, lucky for everyone, they don't have to look at me during the day, but they can hear from me if they need to. Yeah, and they, can, and they can choose not to, and I'm sure I'm muted all over the company, but hey, it is what it is. <laughs> How did you know? Uh, no, I, uh, uh, well, and, and so, you know, that kind of takes us into the question of, well, what do the employees think of that? I think that uh, the overall response, from my perspective, has been positive, but there is a question where, with such independence, does it make it difficult for employees to know where they stand? Um, this question has come up to us from employees. How am I doing? Um, what do you think of my hours? Um, all that sort of thing. And honestly, we're a little taken aback by it because we're really not watching that stuff in the manner that people think. And we are sometimes surprised. But on the other hand, I also understand people who are used to having some sort of metric to know that, well, if I've done X, Y, and Z, then I'm good. Um, we all came from an environment where that was true, not only if I've done X, Y, and Z, but if I then am able to create a plan for the next year with uh, ABC on top of that X, Y, Z, and then middle of the year, let's see how we're doing and if we're, we're on track to do all that. And so if you're used to that kind of feedback, 
it can be a little jarring to not have that kind of feedback. Uh, have you got a sense that that is sometimes stressful for people or, or do you think that that has been something that's sort of been mellowing a little bit? I think it's been mellowing because I remember getting those questions a lot more in the past than we do now. Um, and, and frankly, it, do, it does take me, take me aback. And how, do, you know, how do I answer that question? And I mean, the first thing I feel is guilt. It's like, what have I not said to, to let, you know, whoever this is understand that, no, you're, you're actually very valued and you're valued so much that I don't feel like I need to give you feedback all the time. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with metrics. I just think most of the time they're really hard to do. And and if you think if you know if you're starting a business and you think you have to come up with you know performance metrics when you're looking at a company that just doesn't have that many people, or you know we're we're talking about like 20 or so here, you can still do case by case basis. You, you know you don't have to run it like you're a, you know a, a giant plant that has uh, you know or a factory that has thousand employees in there. Those that needs different types of rules than these new kinds of businesses like ours that are popping up um, where everyone works remote and people are, are more self-motivated. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I think that, you know, for us to think that the extremely relaxed style of management is a one size fits all either might be something that, well, I I'll say it now. It is something that, like you say, there are times that we need to kind of customize the style to fit the personality or the the style of the employee. I think that we have certain employees that would come to us with a problem or a concern, but there's others that I don't think would feel, we would hope they would feel comfortable, but it's just not in their personality to make a, I don't know if it's an aggressive uh, uh, move to address a problem. Uh, and so I do think with certain, it's about staying in tune with the personalities of different people and knowing, hey, this person, I should probably touch base with them about how they feel about things, how things are going um, periodically. Whereas this other person, I know if they've got a concern, they're going to bring it to the forefront. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of what I was thinking was case by case basis and using judgment based on specific things that happen is really, that's how you get through your life. You know, you don't, you don't have specific rules that you always follow when you get through your life. Something happens. There's unequal amounts of good and bad all the time. You make the judgment on, on, you know, what, how you need to handle it right then and there. And you do it. That can apply to business as well. Um, maybe that's not always fair. Uh, but again, I, you know, I, I personally tell my kids all the time that life will be very fair for them. Just so when someone asks them, whoever told them that they can say it was my dad, but you know, I'm just, I'm just trolling their, them for their future. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, things aren't going to always be fair and that's fine. Cause they'll be fair for more fair for someone else. Uh, when, when something different happens and I haven't seen any problem with that. And I, you know, I think people appreciate that. If you need to have your boxes checked on everything you do, you just don't belong in this type of company. And we, and we luckily, we don't, we don't run into that. We haven't had that yet because we're very lucky, knock on wood, about you know, who we've hired here. And anyone who works with us, who's listening to this, we're not talking about you. Don't worry about that. <laughs> That's right. Yes, if you are concerned we're talking about you, we're absolutely not. Um, <laughs> but no, I, uh, you know, one of the things that we face when we interview people for this job it's interesting because there's, it's almost like we have this, not really a running bet, but it's always like, okay, where is this, 
where is this person's priorities going to be? And we feel like this is a great company to work for. And so it's always interesting to us to see what's the sticking point or what are the concerns when people um, are interviewing to be hired. And you can tell when they're, we're interviewing people that have had um, very specific goals and metrics in the past. Because when we say things like, you know, we have our overtime plan, like Eric was talking about before, but then we also do discretionary things periodically um, based on a variety of factors. And I think that we have found that can be really alarming to people because I, I think they're like, well, so what you're saying is that if you don't feel like paying me more than my base salary, you don't really have to. And I'm like, well, no, we don't have to. Again, talking about the specifics of the business, the business that we're in, for us to make promises otherwise would be irresponsible on our part. This is a business that fluctuates so much that if we are making commitments um, to people um, based on some sort of metric, if the overall performance of the company, being a small business, is not great for a specific period of time, then we're going to have to make edits to our arrangement anyway, which is why I think the term discretionary really seems like the best fit. Right. We actually call it the UTC bonus up to core, which is just what colloquially I call it. Um, but it, I mean, yeah, I mean, if somebody's coming in and they're saying you need to give me this much extra over my base, they're just asking for a higher base. That's that's a, that's, <laughs> right. that's that's all that is. Well, and we also it's interesting when we're you know, presenting our offer to a new employee, um, how much credence they put into the perks that go along with being able to not go into an office and your your lifestyle will likely change to be able to have more time on your own or with your family. Those various perks, being able to step back and look at the overall picture at a high level is a big indicator to us as to whether that person is potentially a good fit for the company as well. And again, it's completely reasonable to ask questions, even specific questions, uh, dollar figure questions and uh, benefits questions. But if that person cannot take the entire scope of the package that we've presented, um, that's a big indicator for us, I think. Well, we spend a lot of, of, of time, emotional energy and money on making core more than just money. Um, and that's really worked for us as far as uh, not not losing people and having it you know, be a real family type environment um, that just helps when you need that. You know, when, when you want that vacation time, uh, some of the feedback we got, when we asked what people thought of the vacation policy, quote unquote, was that it wasn't so much about the rules or the policy. It was the support structure to back you up, that everybody jumps in for you, um, whether your vacation is for going to a tropical island or going to a funeral or, or any other reason you have to be to be gone for a while. You have that, that support structure. And but that was leading me to to, you know, interviewing someone what you said, where they don't understand how any of that plays into it because it doesn't have a dollar figure attached. And I will just write that person immediately off if they can't if they can't understand that. So you also said it's reasonable to ask and, and name some things reasonable to ask about. There's a there's some advice you can get that I, I I probably mentioned before and I will mention again that it never hurts to ask and that is absolutely wrong. There are tons of questions you can ask that would personally offend me enough to say I would never hire that person ever. Because um, because if you come off as uh, if you'll ask something like that when you're trying to get a job with someone, 
uh, that's completely selfish and shows that you're not even you're not thinking about other people or or um, just concerned about having tact, then you don't belong here anyway. So, that's yeah, true. You, it, it definitely hurts to ask. Yeah, it definitely hurts to ask the wrong questions. That is because that's one of the biggest indicators when we're uh, it, people think it's about their skill set. When in reality, uh, a lot of it is in response, how they respond to the questions that we ask, how they respond to the information that we present to them and how we feel like they would culturally fit within the company. Which is, which, which always reminds me of something, something Donnie said early on when we were talking about hiring people and we had about half the number that we have here now and we, we still have them and we had them before big parties we call Corapalooza where, you know, we, we rent the big house or a couple of houses or whatever and hang out for a week his standard is, would they fit in there? Uh, would they be comfortable? And would you want to hang out with them during that week? And that is a, that's a make or break. And that's just, uh, you know, you'll, you can read about that anywhere. Hire for fit, train for skill, make sure someone fits into the culture. And one of the other overall philosophies we have is that our people and, and or teams of people are not competing with each other um, for certain reward structures or anything. Uh, and that seems like that should be obvious, but we've been in environments in the past where, let's say, you decide to take a few hours off to spend with your family, and you realize that, oh no, if I do that, somebody else is going to grab the work and take the credit, and so I don't really feel covered. Yes, you don't have a vacation policy, but if you're competing with each other in a cutthroat environment then you essentially do have a vacation policy, which is don't take one lest uh, somebody will screw you over and, and take your work and your clients. Um, we've made a conscious decision to where um, it benefits everyone to work on your project, including you. If you bring in work, um, you have a lot of decision-making control as to how much of that work you're going to do yourself versus how much you're going to ask for. We have an availability channel on Slack, ask for help around the company. But all that turns into is work for everyone, more work for everyone. It does not, we do not give people credit based on work that's brought in. Um, and that's, uh, that's sort of an odd thing to say because I think that really makes it challenging for people um, when they first hear that because they think, well, so I can work and work and work and bring in uh, you know new cases and I don't really get any credit for it. But the credit thing, it really you know, it doesn't translate into anything of value. What really translates into value is keeping the client happy, being able to do as much work as you are willing to spend on it, but then having a team of people that mutually benefit from the work that you brought in. Um, and I was unsure about that at the beginning. I, I did not know if that would fly because we have people, like I've said in the past, who are more business generators versus people who work on the cases once they're already brought in. So, it's, it's, it's a different mindset. It's, it's a little bit of a different mindset than eat what you kill. Um, to some extent, you have the ability to eat as much of you want, as much as you want of what you kill, but still have the support of the rest of the team. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that it is counterintuitive. And to put a commission on bringing in work makes sense. And it make it seems to make sense almost, ev almost everywhere. But that's one of those things where it's not always one size fits all. We saw that crash and burn. We've been places and actually anywhere in this industry, I've never heard a an overall success story of getting a cut of how much you get when you, you know, how much, 
a job generates when you bring it in uh, as a commission. I've never heard that not causing animosity, causing unhealthy competition, or being gameable. Everyone likes to game that system. How many people get the credit? Um, what if it's what if it was your client and you've worked with them for years and and you let someone else work on it because you're busy and the client goes back to them next time? Well, who brought that in? There's never really good answers for that, even when you, when you take it case by case. And we've just we've just seen it cause people to get bitter and angry and not like their coworkers. So we didn't do it. And I'm with you on not knowing if that would work or not. But you know, I got to say, after over eight years now of that of of not doing the credit for bringing it in um, and rewarding people in other ways um, that's not a sales metric has been very successful for us. So it can be done. Um, having it to where every time a case comes in, no matter who brings it, everyone celebrates it. And if somebody's bringing in tons of cases, everyone sees that. And everyone, you know, celebrates that person. And there's no reason ever to be angry. There's all, but there's every reason to want to jump in and help. Um, and that's worked so, so well. So if you ever see that you have to have commission for sales, if you want to motivate people, it's not true. Um, and I think we've proved it out over a, a decent amount of time. We've made it past more than a couple of years now. So I'd say it's working. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the discretionary thing comes in a little bit too, <clears throat> because what we tend to do, as opposed to having these metrics, because you think about somebody at maybe a larger company is thinking, aha, I've caught them because I've hit this metric and now they have no choice but to pay me and make me happy. I think our goal is to look at each person on an individual basis and make sure they feel valued, make sure um, that financially and culturally and home life wise, they feel like they're valued. Right. Overall, that, 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 yeah, that they understand how much they actually are valued, not even not just feel like it. Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, and I, mean, and the, I, I wouldn't trade any of our people for anything. I mean, it's it's if they are listening, I am talking about you now. Um, it's uh, you know, it, and that's the thing is that's just not hard if you can you know if you're just doing the same job as everyone else. Like we all work at this company together. So if we were to go on some sort of spree where we're trying to optimize people, like revenue generating robots that would that would backfire on us because we would hate it if someone did that to us very simple and on the topic of you know giving credit for people bringing in work that would greatly hamper our pitch and proposal strategies throughout the company because there'd constantly be this concern that well if this person helps me with this proposal um, they're going to want initial credit for having brought the work in or for having gotten the sale and people would be hands off of stuff they were afraid they weren't going to get credit for, where I feel like we have some of the best proposals uh, of anybody in the business. And I think that's because everybody feels like it's of value and worthwhile to them to contribute to that process because it helps everyone equally when the work comes in. Amen to that. So to wrap up this week, one of the things you talked about was the culture of caring for the employees and trying to think about things that make their lives better. And that is what we're going to talk about on the next episode when I have one of our other partners, Kim Levine, on here. Um, and she's going to be talking about encouraging and facilitating a culture of generosity and empathy. Um, she's an outstanding example of that. She was the model of that from the very beginning um, when CORE was formed her thoughtfulness and her consideration about doing the little touches here and there that make a difference 
um, have have really shaped the company, and I'm really excited to have her on um, next episode. So anyway, I think that wraps up today, and we will talk to you next week.